This is Darren Davis, founder and senior leader of the Harbor Church in South Florida, and you are listening to the Harbor Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and others, visit us online at harborchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. Um, It's an absolute joy to be with you. If I speak too fast, please just wave and tell me to slow down. Um, I I sometimes try and record uh, what I hear here in the American accent, and I try and slow it down in my own mind uh, just to make sure I understand. Um, As Darren said, being part of the Doxado ministry for 25 years now, Started off with Alan when the Doxdo ministry started in Pretoria, South Africa, and then moved to the United Kingdom 15 years ago to plant a Doxdo church um, there. And it's been an absolute joy to see what God's doing across the United Kingdom. Um, it's a privilege to have Billy um, in the in the congregation this morning. Um, Billy is a, a, a leader of a network of churches called the Pioneer Network of Churches, um, a number of churches across England and the United Kingdom, and then also in different parts of the world. And we've just been spending some time here in Florida um, together with Alan and some of our other leaders here, just really trusting God for the next steps um, as far as the United Kingdom is concerned. Uh, God is doing some beautiful stuff there. But it is a season of uncertainty. Um, who could have predicted the last two years? Um, you know, as we were joking just a little earlier. When, when COVID started, we as a leadership team sat down and, and tried to figure out, you know, what the next two weeks would look like. <laughs> because this was going to go away in two weeks. Um, can you remember that time? <laughs> Until all of our world literally came to a standstill. And it's been fascinating to see, you know, just how things have progressed from there onwards. Before I dive into the word, because I really, I really believe this is a word for this church this morning that I want to share with you. Just to say again and echo what Darren said, I really consider you a friend back. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for receiving me. Darren's ministered at Doxedo in London a number of times, and every time he's been there, God has been really faithful in what he shared with us, become really a compass for what God has done in ministry over the last two years. Um, And so in the same way, I trust that this morning's word will be both individual and corporate. I, I do trust that this morning's word will deeply touch your own personal life, because I know it will. Um, but I also believe there's something in this morning's word that 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 is to this house. Um, you know, the season of Advent is an incredibly beautiful season. We recognize this was the time when God clothed himself in flesh. This was the time that Jesus... Um, appeared in, in, in flesh. And so much of what happened in that humble, beautiful moment redefined humanity. So this morning I want to speak to you about marvel at the paradox. Marvel at the paradox. 
Now, before you get too confused about the title, just bear with me for a few moments. Do you guys still believe in the Bible here in South Florida? You do? Good. That's good to hear. I would like to read you a portion of scripture just as a starting place for today's message. And what I'm about to share with you, I, I feel it, it, it's, it, it's a bit of a well, okay? <laughs> I, I can hardly help myself when I get to speak about the things that I have the privilege of speaking about this morning. Because the things that I want to share with you this morning has deeply and radically transformed my own personal life. When I was seven years old, I, I, I on a Sunday school camp, gave my heart to Jesus. But a number of years ago, I really felt God started to speak to me again through, through scripture about what he did when he came in the flesh. To such, an, to such a point in my own personal life that when I discovered what God was saying to me, it felt literally as if I was born again. And I trust that something will shift in your own personal life. As you, as you, as you engage today's message, I want to read you a few, a few scriptures from John chapter one. Uh, and we're going to read it from the, the Passion Translation. I know that some of these will be on the screen as well. And, and these opening lines of the book of John directly speak about who Jesus is. So, you know, as we're thinking about a baby in a manger, what John does is he takes a few steps backwards and he looks at this not from a manger perspective, but he looks at this from a big picture perspective. And he writes these words. He says, in the beginning, in the beginning, the living expression, Jesus, and he doesn't use the word there, word, because that's what some of the other translations would say. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. But, but the Passion Translation speaks about the living expression, because when the Bible uses the word, word, logos there, it's not just speaking about a word or a spoken word, it's, it's speaking about a living expression. Here was something that was alive, that is alive. In the beginning, the living expression, the word, was already there, and the living expression was with God, yet fully God. They were together, face to face, isn't that beautiful, in the very beginning. And through his creative inspiration, the living expression made all things, for nothing has its existence apart from him. A fountain of life was in him, and for his life is light for all humanity. And this light never fails to shine through darkness, light that darkness could not overcome. And then I want to skip a few verses into verse 14, where he says, So the living expression became a man and lived among us. Just pause there for a moment. When you think about the little baby in the manger, what he's saying is he's the living expression of God. It wasn't just a baby in a manger. It was a living expression of something. The living expression became a man and lived among us. And we gazed. I love that word. Gazed. I've gazed a few times over the last few days. 
we went on the, on the water taxi, I gazed at a few houses next to the river. But I'm sure it wasn't this type of gazing. I perhaps was just, you know, looking intently. But this gaze, there's something different about this. We gazed upon his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. I want to leave you with three simple thoughts today. Three simple thoughts. And, and really, in essence, this is bad preaching. You know what good preaching is? Good preaching entices you in, and then right at the end, the preacher makes a really big point, and you go, ah. Now, bad preaching is you do the ah right in the beginning. And I want to do some really bad preaching this morning, okay? Because here's the first thought that I want to leave to you is that when we think about Jesus and the coming of Jesus that we're celebrating in the season, the first thing that I want you to remember is that Jesus did not just come in the flesh. Jesus actually came to introduce us to ourselves. He came to show us what manner of man we truly are He came to show us that sin robbed us of our memory and robbed us of the capacity to truly understand who we are. Because once we start unpacking this, we have to consider that the story of the birth of Jesus was not just the story of the birth of the Christ. It was the story of the birth of all humanity. You have to recognize that Jesus was not just an example for us in life. He was an example of us. If you're taking notes, that's a really good one to write down. Because you need to consider that for a moment. Jesus is not just an example for us. He is an example of us. And whilst we as a church often recognize that Jesus is the clearest picture of God that we could ever see, you can read that all throughout the New Testament. The the, the New Testament unpacks this for us and shows us, you know, every time you look at Jesus, you actually see what the Father is like. Every time you look at Jesus, you actually get a glimpse of what heaven is like. But there were two sides to that story because not only was Jesus showing us what the Father looks like, he was also showing us what we inherently should look like because he is an example of us. You see, when God came in the flesh through his son, he actually validated our physical experience. You know, so often our struggle is in the flesh. But Jesus came to show us what it looks like when somebody who is in the flesh discovers God as their father, and they now live life from a perspective that is different, that is, that is, that is, that is, that is refreshed in a certain way, that brings us into a space where we can actually understand that what Christ did was he validated our human experience. More than anything else, listen, he laughed, he cried, he got angry, he enjoyed friendship, 
He experienced the, the pain of betrayal. There was broken relationship. He spent time with those who had lost their way. He showed up to the ones that had messed up. He forgave. He got angry with religion because it imprisoned those who were designed to live with freedom. He spoke intimately with the Father. He prayed. He, he, he spoke freely to the ones who owned a lot. And he didn't hold back to those who didn't have any meaning in life. John G. Lake, the father of the Pentecostal movement. Do you know John G. Lake? He wrote these words. He said, the only difference between Christ and me is his understanding of who he was. Can I say that again? The only understanding between Christ and you is his understanding of who he truly was. You see, when you start discovering this, when you start recognizing your identity, that Christ has actually come to validate for you, it is okay to be in this human body. It is okay to live in the flesh because it's in the flesh that we discover something of who our Father is. When you recognize that, you understand that your origin actually connects into your identity. Where you come from actually determines who you truly are. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says these simple words, in the beginning, God, God created. In the beginning, God. Have, have you ever thought about that? You know, God, I wonder how long he was there for. Have you ever thought of that? You know, what, what, who is he? What happened there? What did it look like? A little later on in the story, and not too much later, just a few verses later, we discover that it wasn't God alone. It was actually God in three people, in three persons. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There was something of a union and a community and a relationship bond that existed from before the beginning. A.W. Tozer wrote these powerful words. He said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. They tell the story of, of, of St. Francis of Assisi. Some of his disciples wanted to find out what he did in his prayer life. And so... They followed him. They got up one morning early. He would get up very early in the morning and he'd go up onto the mountain and pray. And so they got up and they followed him discreetly, you know. They didn't want to disturb him or let him know that they were there. And so when he gets to this clearing, he kneels down to pray and all the disciples are listening in. And he starts off with this word and he says, God. Ten minutes go by, thirty minutes go by, an hour, two hours, three hours. It's as if at the very mention of the word, it was enough. 
You know, when you hear the word God, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? What is the first thing that captivates your attention, that arrests your spirit in that moment? You know, it's the greatest thought we can possibly entertain. And that's of God himself. But here is this eternal family, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you know what I find fascinatingly beautiful is that before Jesus is crucified, the, the, the night before Jesus is crucified, we read this in John chapter 17. He, he actually comes into the garden and he starts praying. And he reaches back to this moment before time. And he prays these words. He says, Father, glorify me with the same glory I had with you before time began. Where it all began, he reaches back into this moment where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit enjoyed a sense of union and relationship. Come on, a sense of union and relationship that that out of this moment, something beautiful was birthed. And Jesus, in his biggest moment of crisis, reaches back to his origin. Gregory Boyd writes these words. He says, as a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God eternally exists as perfect love. The truth is God is a circle of passion and life and fellowship. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit ascribe ultimate worth to each other without any competition. Their eternal life together consists in the divine joy of expressing the absolute value each has for the other. Can you see this picture? Can you see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? This divine joy, this divine dance of relationship where the Father ascribes absolute and ultimate worth to the Son. Do you know what honor is? Honor is to value somebody according to their worth. And so the father values the son. He honors the son. And the son honors the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit honors the father. And it's this divine circle of relationship where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. There's this perfect circle of relationship and intimacy. And listen, let me tell you that everything that you as a human being is waiting for... The, 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 the desire to be adored, the desire to belong, the desire to be cherished, the desire to be accepted, unconditionally nurtured, loved, and valued. This is what the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit experience. It's this divine place where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. And, and, and this circle of passion. Listen, those things that you were calling home, this is where it comes from. It's no, it's no wonder that in our physical bodies we desire this because this brings wholeness to us. 
And when these things are missing, it's then when we become sick and we become confused and we lose our way and, and there's no orientation and we end up with an identity that is completely misformed. It's because we're missing that which we were created from. Because out of this moment of God's passion, of value and honor, the circle where the Father honors the Son and the Son honors the Spirit, and there's absolute valor in this moment at more than 300,000 kilometers per hour, the Godhead shouts out, let there be light. Come on. (laughs) This is where we come from. This is where we were birthed from. And now the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit say to each other, let us make man. (laughs) I wonder what that first moment was like. Just consider that for a moment. You know, here's here's a ball of dust and God breathes. And I wonder if I wonder if the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit weren't you know like what you know, when's he gonna wake up now? What's happening? You know, it's like And as Adam opens up his eyes and he rubs out the sand in his eyes. The first face he looks into and God takes Adam and he makes him fall asleep and he takes a rib out and, and he does the same. Can you imagine ladies when Eve opened her eyes for the first time she didn't look into the face of Adam. She looked into the face of God as she was rubbing the sand out of her eyes. And I I somehow think, I don't know, Bible doesn't say, but I'm not sure he took her to Adam immediately. Maybe the God, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit first took her on a bit of an adventure. You know, showed her the world and showed her the beauty and the creation. And, and, And when the time was right, like any proper father would do, he decided and he opened up his arm and his, and, and his daughter, you know, locked into his arm and he walked her down the aisle to meet her husband. This is where we come from. This is where we come from. We come from a place of absolute joy and absolute wholeness. There's nothing, there's no fear, there's no anxiety, there's no sense of concern, there's no worry about tomorrow in this relationship. There's nothing, nothing of that. You know, and as Jesus in that little manger opens up his eyes, he was not a sentimental picture for me and you to look at and think how sorry God was, you know, for us that he would send his son in the flesh. Maybe God was just feeling sorry for us. No, 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 no. That is so far removed from the truth because when God sent his son, he was actually validating our human experience. He said, listen, I want to validate something for you. I want to show you, I want to show you an environment that you were created in and that you were created from. This is the place I want you to discover. 
And we know the story goes wrong. <laughs> Just a few chapters later, the enemy comes in with his lies and he addresses this very issue. It's not sin that was the issue. It's the fact that Adam and Eve had lost their understanding of who they truly were. The deceiver says to Adam and Eve, you know, if you eat from this fruit, you will be like God. Duh. They were already like him. They didn't need any other thing to sustain them in order to become like him. They were like him. We have forgotten what manner of man we are. Jesus did not just come to introduce us to the Father. He came to introduce us to ourselves. Here's the second point, and I suppose it leads on from the first, is that Jesus didn't just introduce us to ourselves. Jesus exhibited this connection that we have to the Father. It was his life mission. And for a moment, as, as I wrap up this message, I don't want to pause at the Christmas story, the Advent story. I want to take you to one happening in Jesus' life where he actually exhibits this. We read about this in Luke 5. We read it about in, in Mark. Um, uh, you know, uh, Mark writes about this. It's, it's fascinating. Jesus comes there's Jewish religious leaders and, and they're, they're the scholars. They've come throughout Galilee. They, they, they're listening to Jesus. He, God had worked through him. He was healing the sick people. And, and some men came to him with a, a friend that they were carrying on a stretcher. And they get to the house and the house is so full. They, they, they can't get access to Jesus. And so they make a plan. They climb up onto the roof and they start taking roof tiles off, says, says the Bible. And, and, and they dug their way through the roof and they let their friend, you know, drop down on the stretcher in front of Jesus. Perhaps you've heard of the story. It's a fascinating thing. You can read it in Luke chapter five. And, and, and as this moment happens, as Jesus is busy teaching and he starts hearing this noise, you know, can you imagine what's going on in the next minute there's this, there's this hole in the roof and a stretcher coming down and the stretcher comes down in front of Jesus and the Bible says in Luke chapter 5 says seeing the demonstration of these young men's faith Jesus says to the paraplegic man son your sins are forgiven it's like huh what do you mean I read that and thought no you should have said Jesus son you are healed but he introduces something. Because remember, the largest part of this, or, this, this audience that was listening to him were Jewish scholars. What was the mindset of the old religious system? You have to perform in order to become something. Okay, remember that. And so they're there with their, 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 their judgment. They're there with their anger. They're there with their confusion. They've been so caught up in religious system that they cannot see what Jesus Christ is introducing them to. As a matter of fact, they, they, they're, they're, they're pushing this away. They're, they're actually resisting this. And so as this paraplegic man comes down and he's, he's in front of Jesus, Jesus speaks these words. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. There, there's something compelling about this because in that moment, Jesus dismantles a sin-conscious currency that had kept people captive. (laughs) 
And I love this because the fact that he says, son, your sins are forgiven. He does two things. He introduces the original identity and origin again. The very thing that he came to validate in the flesh. He introduces this and he says in in these two words, he says, listen, son. Okay, that's the language of family. (laughs) It's the language of value. It's not just young man, son, come on, son. Some of the translations say friend. I think Luke translates as a friend. Mark translates it as son, son. I have four boys. Just yesterday, our second eldest son was playing rugby against Eton. Okay. They lost by one try. But I can just imagine standing next to that rugby field and, and I'm looking at the, that 30 young men on the field and, and I can know that, that, that whilst there are 30 fine young men in front of me on this field, one of them is my son. It redefines my relationship with him. And Jesus comes into this moment and he says, listen, in the midst of a sin-conscious currency, the only way that you could deal with this was with better performance. And Jesus dismantles that in one moment and he doesn't speak about, you know, young man or anything. He speaks son. He says, listen, you are my son. He references back to where this young man has come from, a place of wholeness, a place of valor and adventure and bravery. And then he introduces the second thought, your your sins are forgiven. That's the language of inheritance. A few weeks ago, Sheree and I were at a barbecue. And um, there was an old man there, probably in his late 80s. He was the great-grandfather of the little boy that had his birthday party. And we started a conversation. And very early on in the, in the conversation, because of a, things that had happened in our nation, um, our lives, our family's lives ended up on the front pages of the newspaper. <laughs> there was a law in our nation that there was a loophole in our, in our nation's law as far as the access to pornographic websites is concerned for underage children. And there was a moment in our lives, in Sharon and my life, where we felt we wanted to see if we can't address this in a legal way. And um, because of that, we, I, we ended up on the front pages of the newspaper. It's a huge thing. And so this guy recognizes me from that. So he walks over and he starts talking to me. And very early on in the conversation, he realizes that Sharon and I come from a Christian background. And he starts telling me a story. He says, listen, uh, when I was 18 years old, My dad, who was a devout Christian, struggled with life and he he committed suicide, took his own life. And the church that he was involved in didn't want to bury him. And that moment made me turn away from God. I couldn't find a church that would bury my father. 
And I stood there listening to this old man, thinking, you know, all kinds of thoughts. <laughs> because what Jesus doesn't do is Jesus doesn't turn us away in a moment of pain. What he does, he introduces us again to our value and to our inheritance. Son, your sins are forgiven. Because he came to exhibit what the Father's role in our lives is. Here's the third thing I want to mention to you today. Is when we discover this, when we discover our inheritance and our value in Christ, we end up marveling at the paradox. So bear with me. In Luke 5, when Jesus speaks to this young man, your sins are forgiven and they have this whole debate and eventually Jesus raises him up and he picks up his bed and he walks out of the door and there's confusion and the Bible says these words, the people were seized with astonishment and dumbfounded over what they just witnessed and they all praised God remarking over and over. Okay, so they didn't just say this once. They said this over and over and over and over again. Incredible. What an unbelievable miracle we have seen today. And I was reading this. Okay, so I come from Greek heritage. My dad's Greek. Everything you ever saw in the movie, my big fat Greek wedding, there's not a single line in the movie. That was my life. Okay, it was redemption to my wife and me and our family to go and watch the movie. But it did mean that on a Tuesday afternoon, I was sent to Greek school as a little boy. And I learned to read and write Greek. I can still speak Greek up until today. The largest portion of my family lives in Greek. So sometimes I read the Greek Bible, okay? I know it's sad, but bear with me. It helps me sometimes. And I'm reading and I'm thinking, what on earth does this unbelievable miracle mean? And I go and I read that and I see it's the word paradox. They're looking at this. Now just get the picture. Here are all the scholars, the religious scholars. The currency that they work with is sin consciousness. Here's Jesus on the other hand. He looks at the young man. He doesn't deal with the young man with a currency of sin consciousness. He deals with him with a currency of value and inheritance. And this young man is healed and he walks up. And the people marvel and they say, oh my goodness, we've just seen... A paradox. Do you know what the Greek word paradox is? Para, which means to walk next to. And dox comes from the Greek word doxa, which means opinion. They said we've just seen an opinion that doesn't, it, it's not the opinion we've had. This opinion walks next to the one we've had. It's a different opinion. It's a different vantage point. We've just heard an opinion that is contrary to the opinion we've always carried about ourselves. And listen, the paradigm that these, these people in the room, you know, the religious scholars, they had a paradigm of sin consciousness. You had to perform better. The other side of the room were dusty-feated fishermen who, who were uneducated. They, they didn't have resource. You know, they were just getting by. The Romans were oppressing them. They were finding themselves in a very difficult situation. And in the midst of these two worlds, an opinion is birthed that says, listen, regardless of whether you're standing on this side 
side or on that side or whether your legs are working or not or whether you're running or not or whether you find yourself married or single or whether you find yourself divorced or whether you're seeing yourself as an adulterer. It doesn't really matter because here's an opinion that comes out over your life that is contrary to any other opinion you've ever heard. Come on. And, and, and the scripture says the moment they saw this, they marveled. Come on, when was the last time that you marveled at the opinion of God over you? Where you just took a double take, dear God, are you really, is this your thoughts over me? Is this the thoughts that you carry over my life? Uh, is this what you're saying over me? Is this, you know, can you imagine the end of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament ends with a curse? You know, if the thoughts of the father don't turn to the hearts of the, 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 then God will strike down the land and there'll be a curse over them. This is what Israel lived with for 400 years. And suddenly there's an angel that appears to a young woman. There's an angel that appears to Zechariah in the temple. Um, a virgin, you know, just 13, 14 years old, suddenly has an angel appear to her. There's a baby that's born. There are angels singing. And suddenly we hear these words, blessed, 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 blessed are you, blessed are you. Jesus' first message, uh, come on, his first message is, blessed are you, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be full. Blessed, blessed, blessed are you, blessed. He brings us, oh, here comes the sick man in here. No, it's not a sin con uh, conscious currency that defines your life. No, it's not the poverty and the, the lack of things that will define your life. Son, your sins are forgiven. Listen, if you want to know what this season means, Jesus was introducing you to a new way of seeing yourself. Can I say to you, dear God, never look at the manger again and think just a sentimental baby that was sent from heaven because God was feeling sorry for you. That is not the plan. You look at his life and you see he was introducing you to yourself. He was showing you what it looks like when a man and a woman discover that God is their father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. 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 You know, Mary, when the angel appears to Mary, Mary says these words. She says, I am blessed. It's the language of value. It's the language of inheritance. We don't have time to unpack that in detail this morning. You have a great team here that helps you do that in any case. I just wanted to come this morning and remind you. I wanted to remind you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can I invite you just for a few moments before the band leads us just in a time of response and worship? Don't you just want to close your eyes just for a moment? Just there where you are. What are the voices that you've been listening to that have perhaps robbed you? Thank you, Jesus. I wish you could see the picture here from where I'm standing. There's tears all over the room. People, some people have got their hands up. Some people are clutching their heads saying, crying, saying, God, thank you. Lord, I thank you today that you're doing miracles in people's lives even as they hear this. They're hearing the language of value and they're hearing the language of inheritance. Thank you, Father. You have destined and designed them for your glory. Thank you, Holy Spirit. 
can I, can I, can I encourage you just for a moment to allow your spirit to hear the Holy Spirit speak those words to you? The language of His Sonship, God is your Father, and the language of inheritance. God has not just forgiven your sins, He's restored you to innocence. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So Holy Spirit, in this moment, do what you do best. Do what, do what you do beyond my words and our words. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I invite you just for a few moments to engage before we land, before we worship? your way to the lobby, just please do so quietly. 
We'll just let Holy Spirit have his way for those that want to just stay and just kind of sit in his presence and reflect on these things that were shared with us today. Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Church Podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard. Please subscribe on the podcast app and be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also download our Harbor Church mobile app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.